funny, you know, I'd pick up the phone at nine o'clock at night and call Ethan Wells or Nick Kimball to ask him some of the most basic questions in the world, but they're giving you real-time answers to help your chapter and help you progress. You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we hope to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from members of our fraternity. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome in to this episode of the Teak Nation podcast. Honored to have Cole Connor as our guest today. Cole is the Collegiate Advisory Committee Chairman. He is the voice of the Collegiate Member. And we just completed and wrapped up your first Grand Council meeting as a voting member of the Grand Council. Cole, welcome into the Teak Nation podcast. Thank you for having me, Donnie. Cole, as we traditionally do, I want to start in your journey in Teak and and how you essentially have gone from becoming an initiated member at the Epsilon Omicron chapter at the University of Houston to now being the CAC chairman. Can you talk a little bit about your journey in Teak and some of the experiences that you've had that you've enjoyed? Absolutely. So I was initiated in fall 2016 at the University of Houston, took on a couple of leadership positions, eventually went to an RLC. And what really spiked my interest in getting involved with the the grand chapter and the international fraternity was answering a question that had to do with expansion. And that started a conversation with the expansion director, Nick Kimball, and that got me talking to Ethan Wells, our regional director. And that just continued to build and build and build. And this is why I'm sitting here today now. So as you take on this new role and, and you work with your CAC members, you gave a speech because there isn't, for any of those who are not familiar, there is an election process and and nine members are slated on the Collegiate Advisory Committee and then they select their own chairman. They're the ones that, that do that, that, that make that vote. And as part of that vote, folks give their, their speeches, their political speeches on why they should be elected the chairman. Can you give some insight to our listeners in what was in that speech? What's the compelling message that you put out that in the end had members elect you as their chairman? So I tried to focus a lot on ensuring that the collegiate's wishes and wants were really taken care of. I think some of the biggest issues that we are worried about as a undergraduate are leadership opportunities, networking, professional development. And so during my speech, I made a very big point as to that I wanted to push and continue to push for better educational programs, more leadership opportunities, and just continue to drive home and continue to build on that foundation that we've already started and continue to make them more available for more of our undergraduates, bringing down costs, getting more people to Conclave, getting more people to RLC, getting more people to Leadership Academy, so that more and more undergraduates have that actual experience. So you talked about the educational programs. Are there other critical needs as you think about what a collegiate member wants, needs, hopes? What are any of those other aspects besides some of the leadership training and some of the educational programs that are currently provided? I think a lot of the things that myself and other members that I've gotten the chance to meet across the country so far is we're looking for the the what's in it for us at this point. We're all looking for the professional development, the professional advice, the resume building. So that, to me, is really what we've begun to focus on. You mentioned RLCs and how you sparked an interest in the fraternity and the headquarters, the international fraternity, by attending an RLC and asking an expansion question and growing relationships with the headquarters staff 
through that RLC experience. Can you talk about your RLC experience, your Leadership Academy experience? I want you to talk about your experience. What did it mean to you? How did it improve you personally? And how has it helped now start to make your chapter better because of that investment you made in yourself? So originally going to RLC, the first thought in is, hey, you've got a nice trip. And so you're showing up and you're meeting all these guys and you look at the schedule and there's a couple events that you say, oh, that piques my interest. And so you start attending these workshops and you're listening to guys like you speaking, you're listening to guys like Nick Kimball talk, and it's really motivating to listen to them. And you kind of start to realize that, hey, that all makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> and I, you know, I think that everyone who, who goes to an RLC or goes to Conclave, they're at the edge of that pool where they they want more information to bring back to their chapter. And going to these these workshops, that's that initial push, that push into the pool. And once you start to really embrace what they're talking about and embrace the messages that they're trying to give across, you take that back to your chapter. And it's amazing the, the, the quality of advice that they've given. And when you finish a workshop, you have the opportunity to introduce yourself to the staff members or whoever gave that workshop. And then you create a connection with those guys and you go back home and it's funny, you know, I'd pick up the phone at nine o'clock at night and call Ethan Wells or Nick Kimball to ask him some of the most basic questions in the world, but they're giving you real-time answers to help your chapter and help you progress. And it's one of the best things about the RLCs and the conclaves. Yeah, I think most collegiate members don't understand that part of the fees that you pay, the annual membership fees, goes to funding the staff. I think most people understand that aspect. The other aspect that they don't quite understand is that you have access to that team. You can pick up the phone and call them and they will answer questions. And more so, they're passionate about answering questions. I will not speak for your experience, but I'm guessing that when those guys answer the phone, they're in a pretty good mood and ready to help you and tackle whatever challenge you might have. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I especially want to thank Ethan because, you know, he's fielded calls at all times of the day and night to help us through every single possible scenario. But they, they really do reach out and they really do care about you and creating that relationship. And it's just really special. And I've really, really enjoyed it. Give a little bit of perspective from attending your first RLC, your first international educational event, to some of the more recent events you've attended. You've attended Leadership Academy. You've been involved in other programs and events. What's the difference between the first one you went to, to some of the events that you've gone to in recent time? Well, so I showed up to the first one and, you know, your first thought is you want to stick with your group of the guys that you came with. And so you're with that four or six guys and you're going to some of the events and you're not really eager to break up. But it's as soon as you force yourself to break up and you start talking to other guys who, hey, they've got the same problems that I have. And you talk to other chapters, hey, their chapter is really similar to ours. And that that networking starts to take place. And then all of a sudden you're going to Leadership Academy and you've met 72 of some of the most motivated teaks in the country. And you create these relationships that last forever. And then you go to Conclave and suddenly you're touring Disney World with teaks from all across the country in all different chapters. And it's truly one of the most unique experiences I've ever had. Yeah. I will say you look at the difference between 72 guys out in Colorado spending a week together, including some Canadians who are part of that experience. And then, as you mentioned, 700 people at Conclave that going from that small experience, that large experience, it's, it's just so diverse. And I think that as many members that can invest as you have in your own experience and making time, because that's, that's obviously most important, and then working with your chapter as well as yourself to how can I fund to get myself there, how vital has that investment been on where you are today? I don't, I don't think I can even put a price to it. I mean, at first, 
you start to look at prices of flights to get there and the price of gas. But as soon as you get to one event, you're hooked. And suddenly that money doesn't really matter anymore. Is It's the, the experience that you're getting out of it is worth so much more than that two or $300 flight if you're booking last minute. And I mean, there's just no price to it. There really isn't. Well, and you mentioned a little bit about Ethan, a little bit about Nick and, and the headquarters staff. I wanted to give a chance because so many of our collegiate members don't know the headquarters staff and possibly due to decades of negative interactions, folks' stories get passed down from one generation to the next about interacting with our office. Can you talk about your experience interacting with our office and any messages you might have to a collegiate member listening to this who's never interacted with our headquarters? What, what, what advice would you give them? They were just in our shoes two or three years ago. They were they were once teaks at whatever college that they graduated from. One of the things that I often tell our guys when Ethan comes down or Santos comes down and says, "Hey, take one of them out to to dinner," you know, get to know them as a person, and that'll build a great relationship. And I've tried to do that every single time somebody comes down, and every single staff member I have met have been extremely kind. They care a lot more about my chapter now. You know, one of the things that I thought was really cool was with the relationship that I had formed with all the staff members on the last day of conclave, my chapter and I went and essentially hung out at the pool with the entire staff for the rest of the afternoon. And that was some of the most genuine conversations that I've had with some of these guys. And they cared deeply about our chapter and they asked how we were doing, what we could do, what they could do to help. And I've really been able to grab as many guys as I can to come down and help our chapter and continue to build it and continue to push towards being the best chapter that we can be. What advice would you give to a new member of Teak just starting their journey in the fraternity? If you could tell them anything, what would it be? Don't be afraid and jump right in. I look back at when I was initiated the following spring. I remember sitting in the back of the room and thinking I was afraid to speak my opinion and afraid to to even talk to anybody who was older than me. And my advice to you is speak up, give your opinion, run for that leadership position. If you don't get elected, try again the following semester or try again later that semester. Just get involved. That's that's when the real fun starts to happen. That's when the real work starts to happen. That's where you're going to find the most in your fraternity experience is jumping in. And don't, don't be afraid because as soon as you're in, you've only got that limited amount of time before you graduate and you enter the alumni status and you lose all the opportunity you had right there. So my number one advice to all of the young guys who get initiated is jump right in. Just take a jump in that pool and get involved with everything you can get involved with. And would your advice be the same, or do you have additional pieces of advice for someone who's thinking about becoming an officer? Is it jump right in? Is it prepare, study, talk to folks who were officers before? What what are things you would share with people who are considering becoming a chapter officer? So if you're interested in becoming a chapter officer, I mean, the first thing you want to do is, you know, approach that officer in the position right now, get an idea of what they're going through, get an idea as to what their job consists of so that when you do run for that election and you do, you know, hopefully get elected, that you're not taking two steps back, that you're able to take over where they were at and just continue building and building. So just have those conversations. You'd be surprised. Officers love talking about what they do. I think a lot of people like talking about themselves. Absolutely. So you know, just sit down and say, Hey, what, what does your day look like? What, you know, if you're the, if you're trying to run for Chryso, say, Hey, what does it look like to be a Chryso? Ask those questions 10 times out of 10, they're going to want to talk about themselves. They're going to want to tell you what they do and what their schedule looks like. And that's going to give you a great idea as to how to run for that position and how to avoid the same mistakes that they've made so that you can continue to be a a better Chryso than he was. I want to ask you 
a deep question. When you think about how you viewed the world before you joined Teak to how you view the world now, what's changed? Before being in Teak, you start to think about a lot about what others think and you start to worry about, you know, what others think about you. But as you start to get involved, you do a lot of soul searching. You start to worry more about yourself and how how you can make yourself a better person and be that better man for a better world a lot differently. As soon as you step into leadership roles and as soon as you start stepping into roles with responsibility, it's that soul searching as to where you make the world a much better place. I mean, you realize that self it's self-reflection and, and really analyzing yourself. I know at leadership Academy, you did a lot of that. Yeah. It's, it's the looking in the mirror and saying, is this who I really want to be? And, 10 times out of 10, you go, mm, that's not really what I want to be. And you, you finally find yourself. And once you find yourself and you know what truly makes you happy, your dreams are, are limitless. You can do whatever you want to be. You can be who you want to be. But you've got to be true with, to yourself first before you do anything. What are some of the most important aspects or attributes to finding that best version of yourself? What are some things you've done that have helped you to start to see what Cole Connor can become? It's, it's a lot of goal setting. I mean, I think it really starts with that, that first sitting down, kind of meditating on yourself and realizing, what do I really want to do? You can look at it as if what you want your major to be as you graduate college. You can look at it as what you want to do in the chapter. You can do a whole lot of different things, but it's the most important thing is sitting down and finally realizing what is my dream? What is my ambition? And write those things down. Write them down. Keep them somewhere. I've got a whiteboard in my apartment that when I wake up in the morning, I look at one, my goals, and two, my dreams. So that every day I'm reminded as who I want to be and what I want to do. And the goals can range from long-term to short-term. But as long as you're keeping track of what you want to do, you're going to become a better person. And you're going to be that person you want to be. But you've got to take a couple steps back. You've got to write everything down. You've got to plan. Because you don't go into a football game without a game plan. And so that you've got to find that game plan for life. That's beautiful. When you think about coming out of this, this grand council meeting that you've just completed, once again, your first one, what do you want to achieve now as a CAC chairman? I'm guessing even through this meeting, it's, it's inspired you and got you fired up. You've done a phenomenal job in representing our collegiate members this weekend. What do you want to accomplish over the next two years yourself as you continue to spend time with some of these very successful members of the Grand Council and some of the guests that come in. And, you know, you have access now that not every collegiate member has. What What are some other pieces that you want to extract from this experience? Well, one of the things that I want to do is use the way that I lead my life. And one of the things that I'm looking to do for the fraternity is continue to raise the, the standards. I want to push towards that expectation of excellence. I want to ensure that everybody's in the undergraduate population has the opportunity to get as much as they can out of the fraternity. I want to ensure that we're not measured on the same level as anybody else. I want to be at a completely different level where people look at us and say, oh, they're a teak. There's not much you can do about it. And I really want to make a push towards excellence. I mean, when we talk about the theme for the biennium, the expectation of excellence, I think that is key and the way that we do our leadership programs and the way that we do our educational programs is pushing towards being the best of the best and not accepting anything that's mediocre. Any final messages that you have for the collegiate members out there? I don't know that anyone in history that we've had has truly had this type of opportunity where 
you can speak to the entire collegiate membership at one time if they download this podcast. And hopefully you do and, and talk to someone else who will download the podcast. But what's a message you would share with the collegiate members as their representative? Step up. One of the things that I tell the new members when they come in is if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? And so my biggest advice to everyone out there is step up, do that job, jump into that pool. Whether you think the water's hot or cold, jump in, go completely in. Because a lot of times as humans, we tend to overthink things and we put limitations on ourselves and quit overthinking things. Just jump in, do as much as you can. If you remove those fears from your life, remove those limitations, because as soon as you remove fear from your life and the idea that, oh, I, I don't think I can do this, and you're removing the I can't and the I, I don't know if I can do it, you're going to be surprised as what you can do. Nobody's going to complain if you give it your all. Don't settle for average. Never settle for average. I think that's huge in anything that we do. Only settle for the best in everything you do. If it's a t-shirt, if it's the way that you're making a budget, if it's the way that you're voting at Conclave, I mean, do the best of the best job that you can do and just go out there and do it. Get get involved, run for that chair position, run for IFC or NIC, you know, do what you want to do because that's at the end of the day, that's what's going to make you happy and that's what's going to make you a better person. Well, and I think it's an amazing message to unleash your potential, which is getting those limitations out of the way, getting those fears out of the way, and just taking that plunge. And once you do it, you're a living example of the type of results that can happen in developing yourself as a person and now developing yourself as the leader of our collegiate membership. So Cole, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Teak Nation podcast. Thank you. Thank you.